It's your Tuesday, Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Lots to get to today. A lot of Vikings content, as always, on Tuesdays. Andrew Kramer joins me here in just a little bit for a film review looking at Justin Jefferson, kind of the up-and-down season he's been having. A lot of up um, in the big games, at least. A big one against the Saints, keying that 28-25 win that helped the Vikings go to 3-1. and one. But we'll look at that and also some of the interesting decisions that Kevin O'Connell made um, in you know in the red zone and whether that caution, what that meant. And we'll play a Kevin O'Connell quote from Monday on that decision-making process as well, especially that fourth and one play when they're tied 7-7 late in the second quarter. That was particularly of interest. We'll get to some Vikus as well, Vikings poetry. People can't get enough of that, so we'll roll some more of those through on this fine Tuesday. Get to a little Carl Anthony Town stuff at the end. This uh, this illness that's kept him out sounds like he's on the mend, but um, that uh, that's something to watch as the season progresses and the, but the preseason progresses for sure. First, though, what did I miss? Well, if you are thirsty today, um, in the classical sense, not in any kind of modern sense, if you are wanting to quench your thirst might I suggest going to social media Twitter perhaps um, and bring a, a large cup <clears throat> and fill that cup as far and as high as you want it with the tears of Yankees fans crying over Luis Arias sitting out um, Monday's game with a hamstring injury. The Twins, uh, just as the backstory on this in case you're not familiar, the Twins infielder is battling Aaron Judge of the Yankees for the AL batting title. Araya is now still sitting at 315. Judge was 1 for 4 on Monday, down to 311. Judge, of course, trying to break the American League record for home runs, which, again, I don't really care about. Um, this is, a, I, I believe, we ge- we generally. Um, care about records that span an entire league, not just uh, half of a league. But anyway, that was a story for another time last week. Um, but but basically, he's, he's trying to do that, but he's also trying to win the Triple Crown, right? He's got the home run lead by a million. He's got the RBI lead, and he's been battling a rise for the batting title, the batting lead uh, a, lot of, a lot of the way here. And the point of contention of some Yankees fans is that a rise is ducking, um, ducking Judge by sitting out. Uh, I'm just reading one tweet. I uh, just did a search, and you know, this is just random. You can probably find anybody ranting on anything anytime on Twitter. But a Yankees fans, an outright disgrace. Luis Arias is sitting once again tonight. Goes to show you why Minnesota is a complete joke of an organization, and why Arias is one of the biggest cowards I've ever seen. Taking away the shot of a triple crown from Judge is a healthy scratch. Gross. And Arias, of course, for his part, says he wants to play. He's been bothered by this hamstring injury for months, can barely run. That does not matter, though, to these irrational Yankees fans who uh, you know who are taking over social media. Let me find another good one before we move on to kind of the, the main the main point of all this. So basically, what was the other good one? Uh, 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 YanksGoYard.com, the headline, are the Twins benching Luis Arias to keep Yankees judge from Triple Crown? Um, you guys, calm down. Here's the thing. If uh, if Aaron Judge wanted to earn the Triple Crown, he had every opportunity. In fact, if we go back just 10 days or so, September 24th, 
after the games of September 23rd, Luis Arise was hitting 312. Aaron Judge was hitting 315. Aaron Judge had the batting lead at that time. Since that day, Luis Arias has gone 9 for 22 for the Twins. 9 for 22. I believe that's quite good. That has helped him raise his average a couple points to 315, now leading Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge, during that same span, just 5 for 24. So 9 for 22 for Arias, 5 for 24 for Judge, you know, in the last 10 days or so. That is the difference in your batting race right there. Not some sort of mythical... Ah, uh, the Twins are ducking this, ducking that. I think I think Luis Arias could go out there and maybe play one more game, probably get a hit or two, and it would just be fine. Maybe that would quiet down some of these idiot Yankees fans, but he doesn't need to. You know what? He's played the requisite number of games. He's got the requisite number of at-bats and played appearances. If he's hurt, the Twins have nothing left to play for this season. There's no reason he should go out there and risk any more injury. If he can play, he should play. Um, I agree with that, but um, if he's hurt, if there's a legitimate reason to keep him off the field, if there's nothing left to play for, then don't risk him getting injured, have to go into the offseason rehabilitating a hamstring injury. Those things can be tricky. And most of all, though, um, please fill up on all those Yankees tears because they are delicious and there are a lot of them. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. It's film review time. Andrew Kramer from the Star Tribune joins me again, as usual, on this fine Tuesday. Um, Andrew, we've had a chance to look back a little bit more on the film of Vikings against Saints. You can only watch the double doink so much. That was the play of the game for sure, but there was the plays within the game that that told a pretty big story as well. I want to get to two key themes with you. One, you know, all is right again with Justin Jefferson after 10 catches, 147 yards through the air, and then another rushing touchdown. I believe the first rushing touchdown of his career on a nicely called and executed jet sweeper. He was wide open, more or less, uh, wide coasted into the end zone. And then also, though, just the the idea of how they got kind of conservative in the red zone and how it almost cost them and how that stood in contrast to what we saw in the very first drive of the season, and it stood in contrast to what maybe we thought we would see all year from Kevin O'Connell. But maybe we start with Jefferson, Andrew. And, you know, we talked in the lead up to this about how the Saints have a physical big corner, Marshawn Lattimore, kind of like the guy that the guys that have slowed down Jefferson in the last two weeks. But what was the big difference you saw in this game versus those? Yeah, Jefferson obviously coming away with 10 catches for 147 yards in this game. Much, much different results than, than what we were used to seeing in the last two weeks where he was slowed by those other corners. And you thought Lattimore was by far the most talented. I mean, Darius Slay in Philadelphia is really good, but Marshawn Lattimore probably has the best resume out of the ones that Justin has faced. And maybe that played to the detriment of the New Orleans Saints because they just flat out trusted him to guard Justin Jefferson by himself. And I found it ironic because going into that game, I don't think the Vikings expected the Saints to leave Justin or leave Lattimore alone on Jefferson as frequently as they did. 
uh, coordinator Wes Phillips said before the game, he said, we were asking about, you know, what do you do when defenses are giving Justin so much attention? Uh, What do you do, especially when some of that attention includes Marshawn Lattimore, a guy of his caliber? And Wes Phillips pushed back on the notion that there's even the, the, um, even that shutdown corners even exist now in today's NFL and saying that there are no more Darrell Revises where guys just live on an island. And then you see this game where the Saints say, all right, we're going to let you live on an island with them. And the Vikings won that battle. They almost lost the game, but they certainly won that battle against Lattimore because uh, that was their best route on offense throughout the entire day. Uh, otherwise, Kirk Cousins was under duress. They looked out of sync at times. Um, this this offense was just kind of a mystery throughout the day. Is that just a tactical error then, you think, on the Saints part? Like if they do what those other teams did, do they do they probably win that game or does it at least changes the complexion of it when Jefferson's not able to go off? And you know, he had the big 41-yarder on the last field goal drive that basically won them the game too. Yeah, there, there are ways to um, get Jefferson the ball, even if you are double teaming him. Certainly there's ways to, the Vikings can still generate that production if, if the Saints were to have acted differently. But you just made it so much easier for the Vikings to get him the ball. Uh, it looked more like earlier in his career when he was soloed up on a corner. And Marshawn Lattimore's again, really, really good. And he did win some moments in that game. But I think the Saints' best defense in that game ended up being their pass rush which got in Kirk's face a few times when he tried to find Justin. Otherwise, it could have been a much bigger day for Jefferson. I think of the one touchdown that Jefferson kind of dropped because it was behind him. That was an instance where Kirk had pressure right in his face. And if that was a clean pocket, it's probably another touchdown for uh, number 18. Well, and that's a good example, too, of how when we look at, you know, oh, the quarterback is struggling or they didn't get the ball to Jefferson. It's like usually it's not one thing. It's almost never one thing in the NFL. And I think Cousins goes to great lengths to – to say that, you know, you ask him about something like, why wouldn't you, why aren't you converting in this area, that area? He'll, he will inevitably say it was, it was never, it's never one thing. Sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that, but it, it is true. And on this particular day, it did seem like the, the offensive line maybe didn't have as crisp of a day as maybe they've been having and took a step back is maybe the wrong word, but in this particular game, didn't, didn't look like they were protecting cousins quite as well as they had in uh, previous weeks. Yeah, and that's a little bit concerning because the Saints came into this one with not necessarily the best pass rush. They had had, I think, six sacks in three games leading up to it. They didn't have any kind of great pressure rates outside of Marcus Davenport, who's one of their star edge rushers, uh, opposite an aging Cameron Jordan. But these guys uh, aren't really a feared group. And Cam- uh, Christian Derisaw, Brian O'Neill, uh, Ezra Cleveland, basically everybody along the line had moments where they got beat and beat quickly. And it forced Kirk to either kind of evade pressure and throw it away, um, uh, throw an inaccurate pass, or it it led to one of the three sacks, which is a a season worst uh, for the Vikings giving up those against New Orleans. So you basically allowed them to, you know, get 50% of their season sack rate on Sunday. And for as good as this offensive line has played in, in protection at times this year, we're seeing that kind of ebb and flow. And, and Sunday was, I think, a pretty bad moment for some of those guys. Do you think, um, and we'll switch gears a little bit to the second thing I want to talk to you about, do you think that that pressure or, or the, the way that the Saints were often winning at the line of scrimmage, I mean, because you saw Dalvin Cook didn't have a whole lot of holes in this game either, did that play into at all? You think that the kind of conservative nature that, that we were talking about before we started recording, that Kevin O'Connell you know, kind of got conservative in some areas. Maybe he didn't think he could always make a yard or three yards or whatever it took on a fourth down, or he didn't think 
hey, we're going to push this ball and try to score a touchdown here. Was it I mean, probably never not just one thing, like we've said, but maybe the offensive line losing some of those battles was a piece of that. Like if your offensive line is getting beat, um, any play can get blown up. Yeah, this game could have gone into halftime 21 to seven. I mean, it probably should have, right? Because at least 17, seven. Yeah. Yeah. At least 17, seven. And, and we're talking about obviously those two possessions right before halftime where um, you see it fizzle out and, and it fizzles out in such a way where they settle for a 28 yard field goal on fourth and one at like, yeah, the 10 or 11 yard line, whatever it was. And it comes after a Johnny Munt drop on play action, which came after a stuffed run on second and short in which Irv Smith got blown up by Cameron Jordan. And so what does uh, Kevin O'Connell do and the Vikings coaching staff? They put out Johnny Munt, their run blocking tight end on third and short, giving the look to the defense, hey, we're going to run. And then they do the old switcheroo play action, pop pass to a wide open Munt. That all worked, but he dropped the pass. It's one of those things where, okay, your deception and all that worked, but would it have been better if you just put your run blocking tight tight end in there and then a run behind him for your struggling offense, just be more straightforward in that notion. So I think maybe there's some play calls that Kevin O'Connell looks at and second guesses like you do at every game. But um, I also think that some of that stuff, when you're at fourth and one, just go back for it. There was that conservative nature of basically the first step of kicking the field goal on fourth and one. And then when you get that takeaway uh, on the following drive and you get the ball back on the short side of the field with like a minute to go, you then kind of just slowly kind of slow roll it, burn 40 seconds with three timeouts. Um, I do wonder if some of that's on Kirk Cousins and not kind of trying to get that urgency going on the field. Maybe Kevin O'Connell wanted them to slow roll it a little bit, and that kind of led to 40 seconds when maybe he only wanted 20. Um, but in general, you wanted just more urgency there. The offense just looked out of sync. Yeah, and O'Connell did address that Monday. Let's play a little bit of just kind of his thought process right now. Yeah, I thought, uh, you know, with the momentum in the game and, and just making sure we got the points right there uh, was was big for us. Um, third and one felt, you know, very, very good about kind of that play and our chances of converting on that third down. Uh, you know, when we had a chance there with Johnny Munn out in the flat, Adam Thielen was, you know, kind of a, a, a good second option as well on that one. And just didn't feel great about after calling that play on third down you know, uh, where we would maybe take that on fourth and one, um, knowing how tough of a, a front that is to run the ball against, you know, just the momentum swing that what that could have meant. And also knowing the Saints would get the ball, uh, Andrew, to start the second half, um, wanted to make sure we got the points right there and then inevitably ended up getting another chance um, where we got three more points off of the uh, the, t- the following turnover. But um, yeah, that was uh, th- that was one where, you know, I went back and forth kind of in that short term that you have to kind of decide and just felt that points at that moment were the most important thing. Um, inevitably, we, we've got to finish better in the red zone. We came from a game where we were three for three scoring touchdowns to quite, quite frankly, missing some opportunities there to, to maybe get seven instead of three that could have changed the whole dynamic of that second half. Yeah. And, you know, whatever it was or whatever it was in the specific game, I think the bigger thing is bigger takeaway is like going forward. I don't feel like this offense is clicking on all cylinders yet. I don't think this whole team is clicking on all cylinders yet, but we've talked about this, like the three and one, even though they haven't really played great since that green Bay game, um, you know, they've won two very close games that, you know, could have gone either way toss ups that you probably looked at at the start of the year. Like those probably should be wins and they are wins, but maybe harder than they had to be. 
you got the Bears at home next week, and the Bears don't look very good, even though they're they're two and two, and you know their defense can give you trouble. I mean, this team could kind of stumble its way through still to a, a four and one start before you know before they really need to pick things up. I guess the question is like, do they? Ha- when is this next gear going to be found? When how how long should we expect it to last that they haven't really clicked at least more consistently? Well, I think one of the, the bigger concerns too coming out of this game is defensively, why weren't you able to kind of lock down against what was really a single-handed offense? I mean, a, a Saints offense that didn't have many of its stars, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Jameis Winston, obviously the starting quarterback. They mixed in Taysom Hill. They did some things in their running game that I think might have thrown the Vikings off guard a little bit. But why could you not bone up and not allow 22 points, basically? Uh, how did that come to that point? The defense not putting together a complete game, the offense being kind of ebbing and flowing and also being inconsistent. Um, I think it's the fact that they haven't put together that complete game that is, that is pretty concerning for them. And, and defensively, I think you worry when you've got teams like Miami, Arizona, Buffalo on that schedule coming up after this easy stretch that you talk about. And so I think Chicago is another one of those games. You can win ugly. You, they probably will win ugly some way um, at U.S. Bank Stadium. But that's not going to fly when you play an offense that can quickly put up points because they just haven't faced one of those uh, since Philadelphia, pretty much. That's true. And it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. This isn't really part of our film review, but you know, best part of the team right now might be the special teams. They, if they don't have that on Sunday with the, you know, the fumble on the punt return, the fake punt, Greg Joseph making five field goals. I mean, that, you know, I know he missed an extra point, but that was a, that, that piece of things has been pretty good so far this year. Yeah. And the aggression to call that too, by Matt Daniels, the, the special teams coordinator, it reminded me of the aggression they had when um, Mike Prefer was here and they had really good special teams groups too. Um, Cause basically it was the last decade in the, in the tens, the Vikings were really consistent on that front. And, and what they had were game changing plays with Marcus Sherrill's or fake punts, um, that could help them kind of continue things on offense. So that kind of reminded me of that a little bit. We hadn't seen that in the past few years. It had been gone because obviously they'd uh, rolled through, I think, three different coordinators in that in the past few years. So um, it, that does seem to be a strength for them, and it's, it's going to be good because they're going to need to win in those margins with how inconsistent the offense and defense have been. Indeed. Well, we'll have more to dissect, I am sure, next week after they play the Bears. Will it be ugly? Will it be pretty? We don't know yet, but we will certainly be ready to talk about it. Andrew Kramer, appreciate it. We'll talk to see, talk again soon. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks. Now, I think the most telling thing that O'Connell said on Monday was he was asked about Kirk Cousins and kind of what he thought evaluating his play so far this season. He had a lot of complimentary things to say, and this wasn't even necessarily not complimentary, but he said it's still four weeks into a new offensive system for him. And I think that's just an acknowledgement that this Vikings offense isn't where they want it to be isn't quite where O'Connell wants it to be, even with months of offseason preparation, even with you know the, what they get to go through during the week, and that maybe some of these decisions will be different as time goes on, as everybody gets a little bit more comfortable. If they're still kicking field goals in week 15, I think maybe we're going to have a problem. Or maybe it, is, maybe it was just a game flow thing where he thought they needed to get points. I might disagree in that case. I think touchdowns are going to win games in this league, not field goals, but it obviously worked out for the Vikings. They got the win. And we'll see how it all plays out going forward. If you are not sick of us yet, let me indulge you for a moment with some more Vikings poetry, some vikus, if you will. Um, Vikings are three and one this season, three and one 
since we've been doing Vikus this year, my good friend Keith Rashad, a segment we still do call my least favorite team is my favorite team. And boy, they give us reasons each week to go one or the other direction. But bottom line is they are three and one. They've played some very entertaining games this season. And uh, the last one in, in London was, was no, uh, no exception beating the saints 28, 25. You already heard Andrew Kramer and I break down some of the film from that game. And now let's break things down a little differently, sir. Do you have some haikus, some vikus loaded up? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, let's yes. go. Okay. Well, the first one I just want to tell you is uh, it's a little provincial in the sense that it may not speak to most of your audience, because as we've established before, I live out of state. Uh, I don't live within the, what is usually the viewing area for Vikings games. And so yes. I have to find other means to watch the game if I'm going to do so, right? I don't get to just sit down like like most folks. I live in North Carolina. So sometimes it's a little more tricky for yes. me that way. So okay. Vaiku number one. Yes. The NFL app. Steaming pile of fetid trash. Might have been this league's app. That might have been more than seven syllables, but that's well, okay. a couple things. Couple yeah. things. The first is I I will acknowledge that perhaps I I stretched the the boundaries of what a haiku is supposed to be. Yes. Uh, but this is a segment about poetry, right? And poetry mm-hmm. doesn't play by rules. No. Poetry is is an expression of the heart and the soul, and I needed to express something uh, in in terms of of how I felt. Yeah. Right. And, and so the, the second thing. I, I recognize this is very much a first world problem here, right? This absolutely yes. first world problem, but I live out of state. And so I still want to watch the Vikings. I don't have the whole Sunday ticket where you can, the, the big, you know, direct TV thing. So what I do is I, I purchased what's called NFL plus. Okay. Right? It's the internet uh, streaming service where you get to watch the games after they have been completed. And okay. They, they break it down into 45 minute segments right. where they take out all the filler and all that kind of stuff. If you want to watch it that way. Okay. Yeah. So in theory, it, it's great, but this stupid thing never actually works. It mm. is just a pile of trash and it infuriates me to no end. The thing does not remember, right? that I have paid for this service and it drives me absolutely nuts every time, especially because I've got a big giant TV. The yeah. reason why I have a big giant TV is so I can watch sports on my big giant TV. Right. And I've got an Apple TV with the NFL app. Right. And every time I try to sign in to the NFL app with my Apple TV, so I can get this NFL plus the streaming service, the internet streaming for. service that you that have paid, paid for. for. Yes. Right? This thing, the first thing that it does, I put in all my login information. I do all the stuff because, you know, I've deleted the app and reinstalled it. I've logged out, logged in, all this stuff. First thing that it does on the Apple TV app when I try to open up the NFL Plus is it asks me what my television provider is. I have this thing because I don't have the television because I'm trying to use the streaming service. <laughs> Why are you asking me what my television provider is when I want to use your stupid streaming service? 
And then I have to log out every single time or delete the app on the phone or the iPad or whatever to use this stupid thing. And it just never, and I have to re-log in. Wow. That was more than I bargained for, but you know, this, this, you know, we'll move on quickly to the next one, but this does get to the heart of, you know, people are just, people are frustrated right now with how things work to a lot of degree. We've talked numerous times on this show about, Bally Sports North, just the frustration with that. And you know, now that there is a Bally Sports Plus um, streaming app, I, I need to circle back and see how that's working for those who have signed up for it. But it does seem like it's getting harder and harder sometimes as they try to make as they as they claim to make it easier and easier to watch things in different ways. Um, if the if the experience is bad, that cancels out any convenience that these things might offer you. Absolutely. And it is insulting because. It, it, it's insulting in two ways. It's insulting for the disdain that they show for their customers, as I mentioned. And it's also insulting to be forced to reckon with the fact of, of what I and others are willing to put up with to continue to watch sports. Yes. And, and just how deeply ingrained this is and how much they have us by the nose and how much we're willing to tolerate with these stupid things. Eventually though, you did, it sounds like watch the game. Um, Haiku number two, Vaiku number two, please. Okay. Steep learning curve. Like watching not bright children trying to tie shoes. So eventually they get it and they're, they're three and one. I mean, I think like, but yeah, steep learning curve here at this point And I talked about this with Andrew a little bit, and I think you and I have talked about this. It's like at some point they're going to have to play better in order to win. And I don't think that necessarily is going to come next week. Cause I don't think the bears are very good and it probably doesn't happen every week, but there's going to be much tougher games on this schedule than home against the lions where you barely pull that out at, you know, in London against the saints, we're missing, a ton of their top playmakers and then Chicago, which can't really get its offense together and, you know, can stop some people, but just lost to the giants who were down to, I think their third string quarterback at a certain point in that game. So at some point they're going to have to play better to win, but they might also have enough wins by that point that they can still cobble together. What looks like a, an okay season. Well, yes. And that all makes sense. But I will also say that this particular Vaiku speaks to a different issue that that you have brought up in our conversations before, in that it kind of just looks like things are off a little bit, right? That not everybody is quite yet comfortable with what they're trying to do and what their role is. And people seem to be running incorrect routes, which happens on occasion anyway. Right. But it doesn't, it just doesn't feel like everybody's on the same page. And then you got Kevin O'Connell, right. And two weeks ago, I claimed I wanted to fire him, um, which was maybe a little rash as we talked about some hyperbole Uh, there. Yeah. Um, But he's clearly learning on the job as well too. And you have to, you, a job like any job, is going to have a learning curve. And so it just kind of looks like not everybody, whether it's offense or defense, they just don't seem to be on the same page yet. And so it's going to take a little bit of patience. And it does sort of make you wonder in, in one respect, but I totally understand and 
appreciate and believe in the idea of not playing in the preseason, right? The right. starters in the preseason. But with how new everything is, they are clearly taking this first month of, of the season to try to figure a few things out. And they're just not quite there yet. There's not no. a lot of sharpness or, or crispness to what they're doing. No, they haven't played a good game since the first game of the year. And they're still, you know, they've still won their last two. So I'm struggling with what to make of that, whether they've just kind of gotten fortunate and that fortune will run out or if, you know, they've done enough things and they, they kind of have this perseverance and that once it all comes together and it looks better, then they might start winning these games by even more. We'll, we'll see. Well, well, but they're a 500 team that's gotten lucky, right? Probably. Win one was because win one was because Aaron Rodgers wouldn't throw to his wide receivers. Win two was because Dan Campbell made some bad choices late in the game. Win three was because 45% of the Saints roster was injured. Yeah. And the Vikings got five penalties by or five first downs by penalty. Yeah, that was helpful. That was useful, especially on that last touchdown drive. The next time any of us start claiming about how the the refs are rigged against the Vikings, we maybe want to maybe remember that game and those two those two flags that helped on that last uh, touchdown drive. Okay, Vaiku three, please. Okay, look into your soul, ponder the New Orleans Saints. Is there enough hate? There, there probably is, but man, it's been um, ever since the game that we should not talk about, the Brett Favre game in the playoffs, um, things have gone the Vikings way in this series. Um, you know, obviously the only playoff win of the Kirk Cousins era was that overtime win over the Saints. Obviously the Minneapolis miracle came against the saints uh, this past game in London, while just a regular season game was, you know, relatively important within the context of the Vikings early season and got some breaks for sure. Uh, But yeah, I don't think you can still, I don't still don't think you can have enough hate. There's, there's there's room for more. Well, if we were to rank the NFL teams that we hate, we know who's number one, right? Obviously the, the Packers are the most hateful team. The question becomes, are the saints number two? And you are correct in that the games have gone the Vikings way, but you and I have also been fans and conscience conscious for basically five NFC championship Vikings game losses. Yes. Okay. And when you look back over the history of those five, whether it was to Washington in 87, whether it was the 98 team that was, right. whether it was 41 donut, uh, and then the Saints and then the Eagles, right? Right. The only one that it seems to me where you can say with any sense of of definitiveness, conviction, yeah, that the Vikings would have won the Super Bowl was that year uh, with Brett Favre because the Saints went on to play a very mediocre um, Indianapolis Colts team that the Vikings could have beaten with the talent that they had. Yes. And, and the, all the rest of them, I don't think that they necessarily would have won the, the Super Bowl with any of the rest of them. I could break it all down for you, but this segment doesn't need to be 55 yeah. minutes long. Uh, but those cheating, no good, jerk-faced jerks from yeah. New Orleans, right, with their idiot punk-faced coach 
Sean Payton, that they're cheating ways, stole the one Super Bowl that you would that the Vikings truly could have had in that one particular year. Yes. And so the level of hate that we should have for that team, I think is should be much higher for your average Vikings fan. Yeah. I mean, I think instinctively we just put the rivals up there. So you think the Bears are number two, but in terms of pain inflicted, um, the Saints are certainly way up there, even if the score has evened out a little bit in the last decade. Nothing really repays the chance to go to a Super Bowl. And even the Minneapolis Miracle was not to go, obviously, to the Super Bowl. It was to get to the game, to get to the Super Bowl in Minneapolis. And that's obviously well, did not happen. The Minneapolis Miracle was probably the most fun I've ever had as a, as a Vikings fan. But none of it, none of it will equal the fact that they would have won that Super Bowl. Yeah, if the Saints hadn't cheated. Which is, right. you know, okay. Which I have a Vaiku for you. I have a Vaiku okay, for you quick before we go. Good. Um, a doink is one thing, but for extra good fortune, try a double doink. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Could not believe that that field goal hit the upright and the crossbar and then didn't go over by a matter of inches. It looked like that was quite the finish to that game. Well, what would the narrative have been with the kicking game in this game had the Saints made the field goal and gone on to win it? Because Greg Joseph made five field goals, but missed the one extra point right. that made it the three-point lead that led to the field goal try in the first place. Right. So it's kind of interesting to think, like, how would we feel about the kicking game when it basically won the game for the Vikings? Um, but could have lost it were it not for the the double doink and yeah. the extra point. I think it still would have been a net positive if you just take special teams as a whole. Because like Andrew and I talked about, you know, you had you didn't just have that. You had the punt team with the special, you know, the the fake punt. You had the turnover on the the punt too, with with Boyd punching the ball out and recovering it too. That that certainly changed the complexity of the game. But yeah, I you you wouldn't have felt quite as good about it if somehow that kick goes in and then the saints win in overtime, because then it's like, well, you could have seen how that, uh, that impacted the game slightly. Yeah, just a little tiny bit. I think the only thing we can really conclude from the film review and from the Vikus, the poetry today is that I don't think anybody's quite sure yet what to make of this three and one Vikings team. My good friend, uh, chicken fingers 69 on Twitter the other day, um, with the with the take early October Vikings feel like early June twins hinting that there might be a collapse or a regression at least to come we will see I think the thing the Vikings have going for them right now is they should get better as, as you know as Kevin O'Connell alluded to they're not where they want to be right now this is still early in this new system but the competition will also get better at some point how do they handle that when do they kind of find that next gear that will be the question that will define their season let's finish with the cooler carl Anthony town sounds like he was dealing with some pretty scary and serious stuff finally back at practice after a long hospital stay undisclosed illness towns doesn't want to talk about espn reporting that it was a some sort of uh, infection a throat infection 
um, that was keeping him out and keeping him on bed rest for quite a while. Um, but, you know, whatever the case, Towns has lost some weight, although I think some of that was probably in preparation for playing more power forward than center this year. And the upshot is we probably won't see much of Towns and Rudy Gobert in the preseason, if at all. Those two are going to have to learn on the fly as Towns ramps up, as Gobert gets a little bit more rest after playing overseas um, in the in the Eurobasket tournament. So we'll see how those guys, what that chemistry looks like when when everybody gets on the same page, and uh, you know that's going to be the, that that's going to define the Viking season right there. So again, no hurry on that, but you'd like to see it sooner rather than later, and we'll see how that all plays out for the Wolves and uh, and and their two their twin tower big men in in the middle of this season. That will do it for today. Should have a Gophers women's golfer on uh, on Wednesday's show. Set a team record with a 64, and then the week after that, broke it again with a 62. That is freshman Luisa Mariana Masones um, from Peru. So I'm looking forward to talking to her on Wednesday's show. Should have some other Gopher football content on the show as well. Thank you for joining me here today. I'm Michael Rand, back at it again on Wednesday.